Hello and welcome to Unrendered episode 84. 84? Holy shit, what have we been doing with our time? Anyways, I would like to give a thanks to all of our listeners that continue to support us week after week. If you haven't had the chance to do this yet, go on our iTunes page or our Stitcher page and give us a rating and leave a comment. That's how we grow as a podcast. Plus, your comment could be featured on the next Hostful Podcast. This week was a big, big guest for Cameron. He loves Dan Jurgens. If you don't know who Dan Jurgens is, he is a comic book legend. He has created the characters Doomsday, he's killed Superman, oh great, right, and he's continued to do some great things with DC over the years. Currently, he's going to be taking over and writing Future's End and also Aquaman and the others, so check those out whenever you get the chance to. But this podcast was fantastic. Cameron cried before we started, while we were doing it, and then after. Actually, he's still crying right now, and that's why he's unable to do this intro. Here is episode 84, Dan Jurgens. I'm Allison Hayslip. Chris Gore. Michael Rooker. Brendan Small. Jessica Chobot. And you're listening to Unrendered. Welcome to Unrendered. I'm your host, Michael Artris. I'm Cameron Riddle. Our guest today is the man who killed Superman, gave life to Booster Gold, and is working on two titles for New 52, which will come out later this year. Gentlemen, and the one lady who listens to our show, Mom, it's Dan Jurgens. Welcome to Unrendered. Thanks, guys. It's good to be here. We're so glad you could join us. Thank you so much for taking yes. the time. First and foremost, though, I have to ask you, what is something that you're into at the moment or something that you're just really nerding out about? Oh, gosh. Uh as much as anything, right now, even as we speak, I'm doing a package illustration for uh, an action figure that we can't yet talk about that will be out towards the end of this year. So it's it's going to be a really cool-looking action figure and a really cool-looking package. Oh, man, that that's exciting. Mm, yes. <laughs> I'm drooling at the bits right now. Now, um, of course, I understand you're probably a very busy guy with all that you're writing and drawing. Um, when you do have free time... What do you spend that free time doing? Typically, I, I mean, I'm a big sports nut. And I think that as much as anything, uh, I like to get away from the board and go deal with reality. You know, a lot of guys sort of find refuge in the movies and everything else. And for me, I found myself kind of critiquing movies and TV too much. So <laughs> I, I like the drama of live sports and the idea that I can't necessarily predict exactly how it's going to go, and you just take it in and enjoy it for the moment. So that's what does it for me. What's your favorite sport to watch? Oh, it's got to be football. I mean, I've had uh, you know season tickets to the Minnesota Vikings for a number of years. So any Sunday that they're at home, I'm at the game. And you know that, for me, is what does it, because it takes me out of the fictional world of comics and puts me into the kind of the hyper reality of something different. I feel like every guest that we've had on is like a fan of a team from the uh, NFC North, and I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, and it seems like we always get Detroit Lions, Minnesota Vikings, or um, the Chicago Bear fans on here. And well, sure, I mean, how could you be anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're right, but it just feels like they're all out to give me. I'm a Packer fan, and I always have these rivals going on. So, But the Vikings, um, I got to say, the Vikings didn't do so hot this year, as, as usual, but um, maybe maybe next year. Maybe. It was a tough year. That happens every once in a while. And, 
you know, we'll see. And as far as that goes, I still want to say thanks for Brett Favre. It was a great year in 2000. <laughs> I'm still mad about that, actually. I, I'm a little bit peeved. And, uh, of course, he went to the Jets after that. So, I mean, he could have done his own thing over there. But I don't know why he had to go over to the Vikings for just like a year or so. It doesn't make sense to me. Oh, it makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> Look, I mean, whenever you leave a job, you always want to prove your worth by outdoing what you did there someplace else, right? So if you play sports, I suppose the best way to prove your worth is to go back to Lambeau Field and beat them. And, you know, I mean, that's a very understandable human emotion. Very true. It makes sense. But, hey, you guys have uh, Adrian Peterson now, so I guess it kind of evens out with uh, Brett Favre was a legend, but now you have your own legend in the making. So um, I'm hoping I'm hoping to see a little bit more rivalry with the, the Vikings because, of course, they have such a great running game, but it just seems like their, their defense can't hold up. That's the only problem that I see with Vikings right now. Yeah, and every year is a new year. And, and really, I mean, the, the Green Bay-Minnesota rivalry is a fun one. And um, I'm always at the Packers game here. I always, you know, well, not always, frequently try and get to Lambeau. I mean, it's a great, great venue. Probably, for my money, the best pure uh, spectator sport environment in the country out of any major sport is probably Lambeau Field. So, hey, I mean, everybody, everybody's got something going. Yeah, <laughs> true. Now, of course, you mentioned that you um, don't really get into movies because you critique them, but what was the last movie that you saw that you really just really were blown away by? Oh, it's been a long time. I think, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like the last movie I probably saw. I finally got to American Hustle here just a couple of weeks ago, and I was real iffy on that in part because I thought it was a generally imperfect sort of approach. It was... Yeah, I, I like the idea that you can take a, a part of history and make it semi-fictional. But I thought American Hustle was just, you know, 95% fiction, 5% accuracy. And the idea of the way the FBI agent was portrayed and everything. And that's not the reality of the way the times were. So I, I'm kind of lukewarm on it at best. Interesting. Now, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy, they released a uh, trailer earlier this week. Did you have... Uh, chance to take a look at that no i haven't seen it yet oh my god it looks amazing i know you've worked a lot with dc i know you've worked with uh, marvel a a few times in the past but uh it it's amazing from what i can tell it's gonna blow in my opinion i think that the movies to watch out for this summer are uh winter soldier um and obviously guardians of the galaxy yes um it's gonna be uh everyone every no one knows what to expect from it and when they released the trailer it was just it was almost uh comedic gold for a moment i have to check it out thanks for the tip yeah definitely um now of course uh, being a a writer and artist i imagine you go to lots of cons what are your favorite thing about going to cons uh it depends on the con (laughs) (laughs) seriously i mean every convention um tends to have its own pulse to a certain degree and there are cons sometimes where the people are just fantastic, and you almost go back just because whether it's the organizers or the fans or something, there's just something special about it that really makes it click. Other times, it's just because of the city and perhaps the way you know the the hotels line up with the facility, wherever the con is, where it's easy to get around the city and do a lot of stuff and have fun. Uh, it can be the programming. It, it's a variety of different things. Well, what to, what's uh, what's one of your favorite cons then that you've gone to in the past? 
I liked uh, Emerald City a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of Megacon and, you know, certainly in no small part just because it's in Florida at the tail end of winter, which is kind of a nice respite. And I think both of them sort of serve to kick off convention season um, between, well, if you take Megacon, Emerald City and WonderCon, for example, I think that kind of kicks things off in a way. And then uh, certainly in the summer you have the, the granddaddy of them all, which is San Diego. So... Like I say, they, they all exist in different ways. I mean, San Diego is about so much more than comics. Other things, as I said earlier, they do have their own pulse, and you like them for different reasons. All right, switching gears a little bit here. You are known for your fantastic artwork and your awesome writing. So who are some of the current writers slash artists that you're really impressed with these days? Oh, there's quite a few. I, I think the... Um, the level of work in comics in general has gone up quite a lo- quite a bit of late over the last you know seven eight ten years or so. Um, you know, certainly at DC right now, I'm liking a lot of what uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo are doing on Batman. Mm-hmm. And in, for example, in a world where comics are driven much more by full script, where writers often don't even know who the artist is going to be. Um, those guys have linked up to work as a true team on a book and are just delivering a really solid read month in and month out. I think anything that Jeff and Ivan do um, at DC these days are really rocking it. Uh, certainly the stuff that Jeff and David Finch are doing as well. Um, you know, certainly you go to Marvel and the guys I really gravitate to there are guys who I've gravitated to for a long time, be it. J.R. Jr. or uh, Epting and Geis and the stuff that's happening on the various Avengers books or while they were there anyway, stuff like that. And then it, it spreads out to some of the independents. Um, I had mentioned Epting earlier, like what he's doing on Velvet uh, Saga. So, I mean, there's really, it's a great time to be a reader. Well, on the really. flip side, what are some of the people or who are some of the people that have inspired you as a writer and artist in the past? You know, the answer to that is a little bit tricky because one of the things I always try and explain is that in many ways we are influenced more than we think by anybody we ever read. And sometimes what it is, it, it's something that we really latch on to when we say, I want to find a way to make, make this work and plug it into my own formula. And obviously that's where you have guys like John Buscema and Jack Kirby, Neil Adams, um, Walt Simonson, Mike Grell, so many others. But you also get influenced by the stuff you don't like. Uh, it's amazing how you'll look at it and say, you know, I really don't like what this guy did here. And <laughs> what that does is it takes you down the road of trying to understand why you don't like it. And almost universally, it's not for the reason you thought at first. It makes you analyze the work and understand it better. So I think there's equal influence, if you will, on the negative side because it kind of steers you away or it steers you toward another solution. So, you know, really when I'm asked that question and this sounds like a cop-out and I don't mean it to be at all, it's <laughs> everybody I've ever read. Okay. Okay. I was going to, I was going to say what a cop-out answer, but no, I'm just messing <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> I've never, I've never thought of it in the way of how you're inspired by stuff you don't like. It's so obvious, but at the same time, I never think of it that way. Sure. I, I mean, 
Well, let's put it this way. I, I don't know what kind of music you like, but let's say you detest reggae. Chances are if you listen to it, you're saying, I don't like it, therefore I will never do reggae. Obviously, that's on the surface. But more than that, it means that some of the things that do make reggae work would be elements that you would not include in the other type of music that you do regardless. So it does work on a more subtle level than you think. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's really, really a fine way of thinking about that. Now, I kind of have a few, the next few questions I have are kind of stuff that I just have really wondered about stuff that you've done in the past. Uh, and I don't really want to touch on the past as much, but here, here are a few questions I do have. When you create new characters like Doomsday, Cyborg Superman, and the Booster Gold, what is the process of getting those characters approved? And like, how hard was it to form a character into an already established world? It depends entirely on the situation and the character. You know, for example, um, Booster Gold, I put that together at a time. So if you go back to DC, like 1984-ish, uh, when I first approached them with it, they were open to a lot of new and different ideas. And you look at DC in the mid-80s with the stuff they were doing, whether it was new books like that or Blue Devil or stuff like Crisis on Infinite Earths or later when Frank came to do Dark Knight, then you know, Byrne came to do Superman, stuff like that. I mean, they were really open to new ideas and experimentation. So as I explained the character the first time to Dick Giordano, I said, well, here's what he does. He's this character who's kind of into it for the celebrity aspect and doesn't mind making a little money at it. And he says, well, you mean it's a hero for hire? And I said, no, 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 not at all. It's, it's a guy who wants the product endorsement. He wants to be famous for being a hero. And you know, right now, that kind of sensibility in this Kardashian world is very, very common, but it, back then it was not. So that worked out great. Um, you know, and it, it was so easy at that time. Dick latched onto it, and within like two weeks, we were a thumbs up and a go on it. For something like Doomsday, because he's appearing in another book, in Superman, uh, you know, you, it's not like you're asking them to risk money by publishing an entirely new title. It is an analog, and it, it comes from an analysis of Superman's foes, which at that time were all a bunch of talky guys like Luthor and not necessarily physical adversaries. Yeah. And so you're saying, well, Superman is this, has this problem. His adversaries are not strong enough. They aren't physical. They're too talky. They're, they're guys that really in the real world, if there was a Superman... The story would start on page one and would end on page two because he'd beat them. <laughs> um, so that comes from something different. Then if you look at something like Cyborg Superman, that just started out as a story. We, we saw him as we did a story of Hank Henshaw, who was his, his secret identity, if you will, that was supposed to be a one-issue story. And we liked it and saw potential, so I brought him back two issues later. And then after that, we reintroduced him in the Death of Superman stuff. So... Everything is different. There is no one pattern. And it's a, it's a creative solution to a problem in many cases. And you just you find the answer the right way to solve that problem. Very interesting. Now, I got I got to say that Booster is one of my, if not my all-time favorite comic book character. I just love everything about that character. And I just want to say thank you for bringing him into the world because it's been 
amazing seeing him grow. I think that Cameron is, um, since I hang out with Cameron a lot, I see how obsessed he is with the booster. So almost on the on the flip side, I want to say um, it's a curse that you created because Cameron is is way way too obsessed with booster gold at some points. But, well, that actually I like hearing that. That's great, and I wish we had more Camerons in the world. So <laughs> now, do you take a sense of pride seeing characters like Booster and Doomsday that hold such prevalence in the DCU? Yes. How awesome yeah, I, is it? I, I mean, really, I think that. Um, in some ways, one of the most underrated aspects of either being in the business or contributing to the business is that sense of durability. And I think any creator who's working wants to know that uh, somehow whatever they had done in the past is going to have some sense of value and worth and meaning, um, you know, 20 years later. And by the same token, when you do create that character, it kind of verifies that you were right in the beginning because there are always doubters, <laughs> you know? And, and so you can say that, yeah, 25 later, 25 years later, Booster Gold is still around. He's part of this. He's part of that. However, it works. So yeah, you definitely do. With Aquaman, we're going to go into the, into the present now. Cause I, like I said, I don't, I didn't want to really touch on the past that much, but with the present, um, with Aquaman and the others, what are you hoping to do with this story? I have always thought, you know, I had done a, a year writing Aquaman uh, several years ago and really had a lot of fun doing it. And I have always thought that there is a character there that was really shortchanged somehow yeah. by the by the readers and fan community. I mean, as a kid, as a reader, I liked Aquaman. I didn't understand why he was necessarily the butt of jokes, but it sort of became that. And then I so admired what Jeff Johns did when the New 52 launched. He took that concept that Aquaman is sort of something to make fun of head on. And I think right in his very first issue, he turned it upside down, uh, had Aquaman deal with it right from the start. And that made the character work and it made the book work. On top of that, they then introduced these characters called the others who were very, you know, enigmatic. Obviously, it was a team that Aquaman was with um, even before he joined the Justice League. So I look at that and I find there's a lot of intrigue and mystery and material there that I think we can use as a springboard for a lot of stories. And once again, start to build something that really contributes to this overall tapestry of the DC universe in general and Aquaman in particular. Will it tie in with the Aquaman series, the standalone series, or is it going to be something like Action Comics, where um, Action Comics has its own storyline and Superman has his own storyline? Right now, we are doing our own thing, and that has more to do with the idea that with the others in the book, uh, that gives us an additional five or six characters that we're dealing with as well. So that becomes a more complex sort of endeavor, and... By virtue of that alone, we are going to exist on our own. That having been said, uh, Jeff Parker and I have talked a little bit about the obvious need to link it up a little bit in the future and even now to make sure that the two books reflect one another and that um, I think however Jeff chooses to write Aquaman in that title, that is the Aquaman character-wise that has to appear in mind. Okay. Now, um, you mentioned that you wrote Aquaman in the past. 
Um, and of course, you're going into the new 52. So how how are those two characters? I know you said that Jeff Johns has made him a little bit more badass, but how do you approach writing that differently than you would in the past? I think you start with the formation of the character. And one of the things that Jeff did very, very well is give Aquaman, a this Aquaman in the new 52, a very strong past. At the same time, he left enough mystery in Aquaman's past that it becomes something we can easily play with. So to that extent, this Aquaman is certainly a different character than we saw previously. He's more independent. I think he's stronger and more self-assured and understands that his place in the world isn't limited to, say, just Atlantis or the world underneath the seas, that he is very much a surface character. And I like that. So I think we start with that and build from there. Now, switching gears on to the other New 52 series that you're about to write, Future's End, how, just for the listener's sake, there's multiple writers on this at the time because it's a week-by-weekly series. How do you guys split up writing? Basically, there there are a couple of different ways you could do it. And the way we're doing it on this is – um, the other writers are Brian Azzarello, Jeff Lemire, Keith Giffen, and myself. We've gotten together a couple of times and sat down and first with the idea of, you know, what is the general story we want to tell here? What do we want to accomplish? We've got this weekly. What do we want to say? Then beyond that, once you start to hone in on what the story is, what is the framework for this thing you're trying to build? How are, what is the methodology of actually working? And for us, what we're doing is uh, we're approaching it with we have 20 pages for book. Um, in general, we're each going to take five pages of each issue and write that. And what you'll see is, you know, I have a group of characters that I'm co- uh, concentrating on in my section. Keith has his, Brian has his, and Jeff has his group. But as we circle around that a little more, it is not to say, that you're going to see four chapters or anything per issue, every issue. We flex and change based on the demands of the story. Um, If Keith all of a sudden needs eight pages, we'll all work to make that happen. So in the macro sense, we shape it issue by issue. Um, The four of us, along with editorial, we, we talk at least once a week with all of us on a conference call, shape it that way. And then, go back home and write our own individual sequences. And so far, I mean, it's coming along very, very well. We actually uh, just put the first issue to bed, sent it out to the printers today, which is going to be uh, Futures End Zero, DC's offering on free comic book day. And I I really think it's a fantastic book. Is the pressure on when you have to write more like a weekly story rather than a monthly story? (sighs) Yeah. It is because it sort of becomes that um, that deadline that never ends. It is, you know, if all of a sudden you're sick and you miss a week, you miss an issue. Typically on a monthly, you know, you can afford to duck away for a week here or there. So it is this locomotive that once it starts running, continues to run hard and fast. Uh, so far, it's worked out very, very well. And I think, you know, the pressure is also on. Because we are trying to tell a pretty epic story here. I I mean, I think a weekly demands um, a story that has to take place at a certain level. It has to be big. There has to be something 
big in scope to justify the demands of the page count. And I think we've come up with that. So it isn't just the reality of doing the weekly. For us, it's also all about the the demand of the project itself. I mean, uh, we set a pretty high bar on this. Now, as a, I have a question. It's taking place five years in the future, right? Is that right? right. How is Terry McGinnis going to play part in this because i think like what is it supposed to i think batman beyond takes place in 2030 something 30 yeah how, how does the whole how, continuity work with yeah. that oh uh you mean batman beyond isn't five years from now i don't know is it did i screw something up i well let's go back and check no i'm just kidding um <laughs> god i was like what what just happened here <laughs> That'd be terrifying. I, I don't think i don't think we necessarily have to be limited to just five years in the future God, it makes me... I'm so excited for this. It's seriously. Now, at the end of the Justice League International, um, we see Brother Eye and an unrevealed character arguing over who will be the future. Um, will Future's End reveal who that mysterious character was? Might. I, I, <laughs> okay. You know, I, I'm not going to give answers away. <laughs> made that clear. But I, I think that uh, obviously what you've seen so far is some shorthand stuff for it, which is, yeah, five years in the future. No one said we were going to be limited to five years in the future. Um, no one has really said anything much other than here are some of the characters who you'll see inside this thing. As I said, I think we're trying to deal with something that is very epic in scope and is going to tell a very big story. Now I've got to ask... And I'm sure it's probably going to be the same answer, but... What is the end? <laughs> <laughs> that. Um, no, but um, with it exploring, you know, the present and the future, does this mean we're going to see Booster again? Once again, well, we, I, I'm going to have to stick to what I said, which is uh, we've talked about some of the characters that are going to appear and talked about the general idea that a good part of the story will take place five years from now. Other than that, there are a lot of things that are possible that, you know, we haven't even really gotten into yet. So it's, you know, buy the book, read the book. Hopefully you'll enjoy the book because I think we have a great story to tell. I am super excited to read this. It's uh, definitely, from what I've read up on it, it uh, it's a series that I'm from, definitely going to be putting in my. Pool. I mean, I knew from the start with the team that you guys have assembled is just going to be nothing but amazing. Yeah, it really is, and every um, all the guys who are doing the artwork are really rocking it. Um, Aaron Lepresti, Patrick Zercher, uh, Jesus Moreno are doing some fantastic work. Ethan Van Skyver did some great work on issue zero. Uh, you know, we really have an outstanding crew on this book. Ryan Sook is doing the covers every single issue, and they are drop-dead gorgeous, in addition to a lot of the character uh, design work that's happening as well. So, I mean, this is um, this is a big effort, and everybody is selling out big time, as much as they can to make this thing work. Now, besides Aquaman and the others and Future's End, is there anything else that you're working on currently that you would like to plug? Uh, I wish I had some time so I could take more on, but... <laughs> <laughs> Between those two things, no, there isn't, I'm afraid. Okay. Um, when is the next con that you'll be going to? Do you know off the top of your head? Next con is, let's see, um, coming up, I have Megacon uh, in about a month down in Orlando. After that, I'll be at C2E2 in Chicago, 
which is at the end of April, and we're pulling together a few more yet for the uh, late spring, early summer time frame. That's great. Now, how can people of the internet keep up with what you're doing? Do you have a Twitter or a Facebook fan page or anything like that? You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. You can also go to danjurgens.com, which is my website, um, which sadly I probably don't update quite as much <laughs> as I ought to. Uh, but yeah, I think, and also just be aware of what's coming out from DC because that's where all my work is right now. And, uh, they're actually probably talking about it more than I am, which works out great. So, <laughs> uh, you know, that's where you can find me. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to yes. do the podcast. We would love to have you back on in the future once the Aquaman and the Others has an arc under its belt and as well as Future's End. We'd love to have you back on. Um, love to. And as always, um, hopefully the Packers will end up uh, beating <laughs> the Vikings this next season because I'm well, sure... Well, so much for that next appearance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well... I'm Michael Archeris. I'm Cameron Riddle. I'm Dan Jurgens, and Green Bay sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I had to do it. You had to. No, I was giving you shit the whole time. You had to. This has been a Command Entertainment production, and you've just been rendered.